You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Take a Bible, let's find, uh, just find the New Testament. How about that? That narrowed it down for you. Uh, Sometimes in, in my, my studies, I am, I'm new school and old school. I have everything saved on a computer, but I still love a piece of paper. Um, I like writing, not long writing. I like writing my, my sermon notes out and things. And uh, Pastor Steve Lawson said in a, um, a pastor's conference a few weeks ago, I was at, he's really old school. He said, I just feel like whatever goes in my hand comes up to my brain better. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I have a lot of stuff on my computer and a lot of stuff in there and, and saving. But as I was working on the, my, my sermon this week and writing, what I do a lot of times is I, I make little side notes that, you know, that, that the text springs me off into another direction. And other than just being here every Sunday morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I know I save it for a later time. One of those things that struck me, uh, in that way was in, in John chapter 7. You don't need to turn there because we're going to be looking. You can find 1 Timothy. Go ahead and you find 1 Timothy. But in John 7, uh, the, the, the brothers had asked Jesus to go to the, his, his brothers had asked him to come uh, to the Feast of Booths, but it wasn't time yet. Um, and he said, my time has not yet come but your time is always there. So when, I, when you first read that, you have to stop and say, what does that mean? And so in, in studying that and looking at that, I, you kinda, I stop there, then I go to studying and looking. And Jesus is saying that I'm not going with you to do what you want me to do because my time is not yet. You want me to go and do miracles so people will see what a, what a, what a, a great you know, prophet, what a great man I am by my miracles, but I want them to see that I'm their redeemer. And so my time has not yet come to go, but you go ahead, it's your time. But Jesus was also alluding to there's a different thing going on here. Jesus is doing the Father's will, key word, they were doing their will. And so that just struck me about my time, his time, you know, Jesus said my time, I wrote my time, but is it his time? So I want us to think about that. How do we live our life? So that sent me off on a, on a study of God's will and time. And again, I go, I still have filing cabinets. I, mean, I literally have a filing cabinet. Pull that thing out of it. Y'all know what a filing cabinet is? Paper. Y'all know young people. Manila folders, labels on it, you know doing God's will, you know, and, and I pulled out uh, some articles and began to read that. And so through my studying, one in particular that gripped me was one of my, my favorite pastor theologian guys, John MacArthur. 
Um, John MacArthur is the cutting edge, probably 10 to 15 years ago, if not longer, of providing his stuff to everybody. He, he makes his stuff available to anybody that has access to a computer. If you love Bible study, if you love reading articles, if you love listening to preaching, um, you know, uh, everything he has, he gives away. It's grace to you ministries. It is it, it just a, a valuable resource. One of the dangers I have in doing that, uh, and, I, and I send people to these great preachers, guess what the danger is? And I start sending everybody great preachers. Lawler gets it. They start comparing me. Why don't you preach like John MacArthur, you know, or we'll just stay home and listen to John MacArthur now. Uh, Grace to You Ministries is a phenomenal resource of good, sound, biblical teaching, and you can never exhaust his. I think the article I pulled up when I printed it off years ago, he actually was an old Bible study he did in 1972. Uh, so he has done a phenomenal job of making all his stuff available. So here's what I want us to look like. Whose time are you living in? Are we living in God's time and his will for our lives? What does it mean as Jesus said, hey, this, isn't, this is not my time. I'm doing the Father's will. You, you can do whatever you want to because you're living in your time. What do we expect as believers when we live in our time? And, and what is God's will for us as we live in our time, in, in God's timetable, as we live in, in God's time compared to just the world's time. So we're going to look at different things uh, about that. Look at 1 Timothy. I'll tell you what God's will is when we live in his time. Uh, this may be a shocker to you. It's a profound, deep, theological desire of God I bet you've never thought of look at first Timothy you may be there I'm the one that's not there yet first Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 this may catch you off guard you know what one of the you know what the desire for God is as we live in his time as Jesus said my time is not now because I'm living in the father's time you know what God's desire is is for us as we live in his time notice first Timothy 2 3 through 4 it's going to surprise you I'm being sarcastic. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. You know, as I, I thought about this message as I was encountering someone to encourage them to know Christ and live for Christ. So as I was preparing this message, it was like I was talking to someone, and I'm trying to encourage them to understand, as Jesus was saying to the disciples, this is what it means to live in God's time. This is what it means to be his. God's desire, be saved. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Understand that your sins need to be forgiven. It's not going to go any further than that until the desire to just be saved. Know that you're saved. Give your life to Christ. You know, what? would that be a bad way to start off a conversation with somebody? I just want you to be saved. I'm not trying to, to, to fix you. I can't fix you. But God can save you. You need to be saved. And so we, we talk about the Spirit coming. We talk, I, I allude to that this morning that you, you've got the disciples living with Jesus, but yet rubbing, rubbing elbows with Jesus as a half-brother doesn't save you. 
There's nothing we can do that saves us. It's a supernatural thing that God does through the Spirit of God and the, the gospel that we have now. So it is a supernatural thing, but still there's a thing. You need to be saved. That's the greatest desire that, that man has to be saved. And so God desires for people to be saved. Ezekiel 18 and 23, and I apologize for doing sermon prep as you were singing. You didn't see me, but I always feel so guilty. I think we ought to be, you know, so I was looking at this verse that popped in my mind as I was sitting up here. Ezekiel 18, 23, it says, God has no pleasure in the wicked and the death of the wicked. So just because we acknowledge that there's a sovereign God that must work, does not take away that there's a desire that God for people to be saved. And it's not like God takes pleasure in people going to hell. The greatest need and the greatest understanding of knowing what God's will for our life is that we're saved and that people need to be saved. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Same, same conversation with Timothy. For to this end we toil and strive. Now, when we think about that, to this end, what? We toil and strive. Those sound like two words that mean sweating and toiling and working. We're not talking about lazy people here. We're talking about believers that are doing something and they're toiling and striving all of it. In all of it, because we have our hope set on the living God. This is a sermon in a sermon. We toil and we strive after something and our hope is set on a living God, meaning that we can accomplish this, that it's going to be beneficial, that everything we do is this because we have our hope set on a living God. That hope is a futuristic type thing, but we know that takes place. We've got our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. salvation is it and we toil and we strive and we have our hope on a living God who who has sent his son as the savior of all people especially those who believe but so often we think about the will of God and we we're seeking the will of God but we're not seeking what the most important thing of the will of God is that people come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and as a believer we have a, a a process we have been left here for a reason and that reason is that we toil and strive with a living hope so that God would use us to see people come to know him as their Lord and Savior People talk about, you know, the, the Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is to do what? To glorify God, enjoy him forever. Let me tell you what makes God happy. When you understand that you're saved and your desire is to be used of him to see other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You want to make God happy? Start understanding that. You know, we can sit around and, and read and sing and worship and never leave our home and talk about how we're just going to give glory and honor to the Lord you want to bring glory and honor to the Lord you realize that what you have is a gift of God and that you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb and your greatest desire is to love him in such a way that other people can see the hope that is in you and the living God and you encouraging people come to Christ that's why we're left here by the way if it was all about just going to heaven when we die and glorifying the Lord, he'd just take us on up with him. I always say this, a couple of us have to be left behind to kind of lead things this side of heaven. 
But that'd be awesome. I've always said that, man, wouldn't that be awesome if you're up there preaching on Sunday, on Wednesday night, just pouring your guts out to the youth and poof, 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 people just start vanishing? Of course, it would probably make because they were getting saved. They're going to heaven. They're not left behind. But then it would cause you to stare at others that are still here. So salvation is not just going to heaven. I'm going to heaven when I die. I am a, I'm saved. And I'm here to make a difference in other people's life as well. You want to know the will of the Father? The will of the Father is salvation. Ephesians 5, living in his way, living in his will, doing what pleases him. I didn't read it for the sake of time, but in John chapter uh, 6 and John chapter 5, it asked a couple of times, Jesus reminded them, I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm here to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? I'm here to do the will of the Father. John 5 and John 6. Well, here in Ephesians 5 is another understanding of what is the will of God. Look at verse 1. No, 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 that's too long. We'll be there too long. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Look carefully. Pay attention. Making the best use of your time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That's, that's a mouth. That's, that's true. It's a mouthful. We look carefully how we walk because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's, it's not just, I'm saved, and so whatever I, I'm a believer, so I can just do whatever I want to do. That's the will of the Lord. No, it, there's this idea that we are seeking and there's knowledge involved, and we are, we're, it's almost like taking facts and applying them into our life. We're taking truths, and we're applying them into our life, and we're understanding what God is asking me to do. Therefore, not be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Number two, our salvation that's the will of God, salvation. Number two, to be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be drunk. Don't look for a, a, a fake intoxication, but be filled, be absolutely controlled, living under the continuous presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit in your life, acknowledging the Spirit within you as a, a sail takes in the wind that, that moves a ship, a, a boat. We are so controlled by the Spirit. We so acknowledge the Spirit in our life that we know that He is absolutely controlling us. We are seeking that relationship. We are doing everything we can do. It says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The reference to the drunkenness. You know what a spirit-filled... Have you ever met a spirit-filled person that's living a... That, that we are filled... We are filled the moment that we are saved with the Holy Spirit. We don't lose it and need to get refilled. I do think there are some Baptists that might have a little slow leak, though. You know, the old joke, the old the, the revival, the same guy comes forward every every... Every revival meeting, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. You know, goes back next year, fill me, fill me, fill me. And finally, after two or three years, one guy said, Lord, you know, quit filling him. He's got a leak. We don't, we don't lose the spirit. We receive all of the spirit that we need. 
But as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we acknowledge the control of that spirit in our life. There's still a battle of the flesh. When I get saved, John doesn't disappear. You know, I used to do um, line work, construction. We would work back in the day, you know, I've worked 30 or 40 hours straight one time. Boy, I'm talk- you want to talk about being grouchy? Don't sleep for about three days and see what happens. Okay? But that was a long time ago. I'm sweet all the time now. You know, when you don't have anything to eat, when your blood sugar, that's my little thing now. Ooh, my blood sugar's getting low. I better eat. Get a little grouchy. Some of y'all, a little blood sugar drops sometimes. I pray for you. A little grouchy. Where does that grouchiness come from? It's just you coming out. You're still there. I'm sure on a daily basis, Sharon's reminded, John's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. We're still there. The Spirit is there, but we're still there. Being controlled by the Spirit is acknowledging the Spirit is there. And you're, you, you want to be so in the presence of God with, the, with, with our walk with Christ that we are letting the Spirit control us instead of letting us control us. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melody, songs and melody to the Lord with our heart. That's the kind of person that's filled with the Spirit of God. You're around that person, you know it. Giving thanks always and for everything in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not a a mystical thing we try to obtain. The Spirit's not floating around here like Casper the Ghost. We don't need spirit nets and try to catch the Spirit. It's here if we've been saved. And we acknowledge that it's here and we submit to that Spirit in our heart and we live accordingly. Let's turn to another verse. Keep this verse, keep this, make a photocopy of this and just keep this in your mind. This is good stuff. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Written around the same time, Ephesians and Colossians, you know. Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote it. Verse 12, I'm going to put beginning reading at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on then, put on these things, bearing with one another, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must give. So these are the things that we put on. We, we're putting off the, the bad, and this is what we're putting on. Verse 14, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Listen to verse 16. Sounds exactly like Ephesians. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart, to God. Notice what Ephesians 5 said. Addressing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father. Let the word of Christ dwell with you in you, teaching in a mind. Same thing. Notice this. How 
do I allow the Spirit control me? How do I acknowledge the, the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my heart? It says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. How do I acknowledge the Spirit and allow the spirits to guide me? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to be a Spirit-filled believer? Let the words of the Lord dwell in you richly. It's not a, an academic rite of memorization, but it's the understanding that the God gave us his word so that we would know who he was and what he, who he is about in regard. And then in turn, we know who we are. A spirit-filled believer in, in, in Ephesians is the, the same one that lets the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As we let the words of Christ, the gospel, his word, the word incarnate, the word in scripture, as God speaks to us, we are a spirit-filled believer. And we acknowledge that everything the Lord has said and everything that God has given us in his word is in tune with the Spirit and is there for our sanctification and growth. Leads us to the third word. And it is sanctification. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. These are verses that directly deal with the Lord's will. This is my will. This is what I expect. This is what I have come for. This is the plan in other words, not this is what I need you to do. This is the plan. This is why Christ came. This is why he died on the cross. That's why he says, I'm the bread of life. This is not, I need you to do these things. This is it. This is what he came to do, to save, to fill us with the spirit, sanctification, to set us apart. Hannah came up to me tonight, today, and asked me if I would do something for the chorus. And she's one of my whole favorite chorus people of all times. Well, you're, I know, just, you'll get it. If I'm talking to you, you are. Christopher just got his feelings hurt. So I said, Hannah, for you, I will spend $400 on a cheesecake. Actually, it's $25. But I'll, I'll buy a $25 cheesecake from you. And this is what I said. She goes, do you have a pen? I said, I do. I said, Hannah, I'm going to give you this pen. And it's the pastor pen. And I want you to use this pen, and I'm setting it apart for this youth, this choir fundraiser. And when you're done with it, you can bring it back, but don't lose it. She goes, oh, pastor, the pen. It's probably wedged under the van floorboard by now or something. That's a silly little thing that I was making light of, and I did it that way. I want you to have my pen. When God saves us, he says, I love you, and I am setting you apart. I don't want you to act like dead people and lost people in the world. You are special in your mind. And it's not a corporate looking into the stadium from the blimp. I still remember one of the first times I tried to find someone at a football game. And I remember going to a Georgia game. And, and whoever I was with, we, we were both being serious. What does he have on? Red. 
You know, well, there's a red shirt. I mean, our salvation's not like that. He saved us individually, and he said, I have set you apart. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 3. For this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. 1 Thessalonians, right after Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification takes place immediately when we're saved. Get to use the pen again. You are here and you are dead and unclean and you are dead. I have saved you and I have clothed you. I've removed the sin and I have clothed you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and you are set apart. We are sanctified the moment that we are saved. But then there's also that process of sanctification. I am living as a saved person filled with the Spirit and clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And I'm living a life where I'm separated from the things of the world. Now, biblical separation, it can be one of those things that churches have their own little things that they do. You know, back in the day, I guess, I don't know if it's still back in the day. I don't dance because it's just I can't dance. Baptists don't dance. Why? Because that's what you do down at the honky-tonk. Funny thing is, way back yonder, some of y'all weren't even born yet. You didn't have a piano in the church. Why didn't you have a piano in the church? That's what they had down at the honky-tonk. Isn't that funny how times have changed? Now we take the piano out of the church and we become the world. So separation means different things in different contexts, but here's what it means. Be in the world, but not of the world. It's not rocket. It's not hard, okay? We, we make it hard. Why we make it so hard is we say, okay, it, it, I said this the other day, don't look at the sun in the eclipse. How many people looked anyway? I glanced to see if my eyes would explode. It's kind of like they, they always look at them. They never look at the women. They always look at the men. Every time, notice this. The plate is hot. Please don't touch. And we always go, yeah, it is. <laughs> they never look at the women. Women, will, Sherry would never touch that plate. That thing could be a solid block of ice. Don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. Do not touch the plate. They said so. Separation is don't do this. And we go, why not? You know, what is the first thing it says? This is. What is the first thing it addresses? Abstain from sexual immorality. Here's the, here's the funny thing about that. We won't go too far into it because we do have younger folks. Every generation thinks it's new to them. You ever thought about that? My parents did not have that issue. And certainly when my grandparents were around, that was not an issue. Isn't that funny how we look at that? It's like it's something new. So when we read that or we, we hear our pastor say that or our parents say that, our younger folks say, yeah, but that's, no, it, it's been around forever. Men's desires, women's desires, it's been around forever. Here's why I think, now God didn't include me in on this. This is just John thinking. This is why I think this is the first thing. 
Not that it's a list of importance, but this, this is your sanctification. You abstain from sex and morality. Each of you know how to control your body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things that we told you beforehand and we solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but holiness. This whole section is talking about holiness. The holiness of God and our personal holiness this side of heaven. As we look at this section, it is dealing with sexual immorality to, to our own life and the way we, we treat others in that way and what that looks like. And this was one of these aha moments. Remember the other day when I said aha moment? Aha. Here's an aha moment. This is good. Wake up. Hear this. Didn't come from me, it came to the Lord. How often do we say, I want to know God's will? And when it, meaning God's will, the will we don't know, the, the secret will, the, the sovereign will, you know, the things that we just don't know. You know, I just want to know where God wants me to go this. I want to know who God wants me to marry. I want to know. And, and it's the unknown that drives us crazy. This is good. If we cannot handle the revealed will of God, we're never going to be able to embrace the sovereign will of God. I want to know God's will in my life, but I'm going to be sexually immoral. Well, then you're never going to know that. You're never going to be. If you can't do what God is showing you, you're never going to be able to recognize the unknown. That's a good word. If I can't do what God is asking me to do in his word, the, the revealed will of God is this. When we read scripture and we say, this is what God's word says. If I'm not willing to do that, then I'm never going to be able to understand what he, he is wanting to reveal to me. That's why people make terrible decisions all the time. You know, this is the, here's the dude. I always pick on the dudes because women have never come to me and said this, but about 15 men have. I know this is God's will to leave my wife for this other woman. Okay? They're not ever going to know what God's will is because they're not willing to do what God's will has already been revealed to them. So that's why you know people that just keep making the dumbest decision you've ever seen in your life and they say this is what I think God wants me to do and they're making the stupidest decisions ever because they're not doing what God has revealed for them to do. And if, God, if we will obey what God is revealing them to do, I, I give a great example. I agonized over where to go to seminary. We had six choices. Is Southern Baptist. I guess I could have gone outside Southern Baptist realm. You had six choices. I wanted to do God's will so bad, I agonized over it. And an older gentleman told me this. Are you, are you pursuing the will of God? Yes. Are you praying over it? Are you in the word? Are you living a, in a faithful life of assurance? Yes. I'm, I'm the best John can do it. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. Then he said, then go to the seminary you want to go to. Really? Is that simple? Yes. But when you're not doing what the Lord asks you to do, you're never going to recognize what God's will is because you're not doing what God wants you. It's kind of like in, in the article, MacArthur even mentioned this. He said, it's like a couple that comes to him and says, hey, and by the way, I do this. I'm not trying to scare people, run people off. 
You come for premarital counseling with the pastor, this is one of the first things we talk about. Are you involved in a relationship sexually that's not bringing glory and honor to God? You can't hide the answer to that. Now, did y'all know we talk about that in premarital counseling? You can tell real quick where they believe on that, <laughs> real quick. So then the next question is, well then if you're not willing to do that part of God's will, how do you know it's God's will for you to get married? That's good. If you're not willing to do what you know God says is my will, how do you know it's God's will for you to marry this person? That's just something to think about. If God has showed us what we need to love my brethren, if I can't love my brethren, and that is the will of God, then how can I expect to know God's will for the rest of my life if I'm not willing to do what he has shown me to do? If we can't do the shown, we'll never do the unknown. Sanctification. If we cannot do the revealed will, then how do we expect to understand the secret will? Number four, submission. Look at James 4, 7. James 4, verse 7. We're familiar with this. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God is to acknowledge his control and his lordship. To, to acknowledge authority. To acknowledge that I submit. I am under him. Submit to God. God is not a, a grouchy dictator ruler. He's a loving heavenly father that loves us. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need to live a life that glorifies and pleases the Lord. Everything we have, it's not a, a question. It's not that we don't know. God is never going to hide things from us. Everything that we have before us is what God has given us. And we're not going to go before him and say, well, I, you never did find that. No, God's will is not secret and hidden and that we'll never find it. His will is secret and hidden, but he's got that. He's shown us everything he's going to hold us accountable for. And he says, submit to it. Just submit to God. I looked at that word submit and did a little, you know, go to concordance, that word submit and see where that traces out and other things. Very interesting. I've often said this about people. People have a pattern. We all have a pattern. You've noticed that? If someone has trouble with this relationship, they probably have trouble with that relationship. If you've got You've got a child that has an issue with authority in the home and does not mind and is unruly and disrespectful. You know how they act at school? They don't mind. They're unruly. They, they're, they, they don't listen to the teachers. They come out for football. Happened Thursday night. You're sweet kind shepherd pastor someone got mad at me because they didn't play and every now and then I have to go we had this talk before you haven't been out here all summer long you just got your uniform yesterday I told you 
you're not playing. And I always have to be a little sarcastic. I don't care how good you are at Xbox. You don't know our offense. I have, true story, in a huddle, on a timeout, I had a kid tell me in a previous church and setting, school, hey, how about this play on Xbox? Just think about that. So then we started calling him Turbo Button. I asked another, you'll get it going home. I asked another kid, I asked another coach that night, what's the story on this kid? Oh, that's just his life. Any authority he rebels against. And prayerfully, that child will not graduate. He will change, but probably he will graduate. And the police, the coaches, the teachers, his parents, God. Hebrews 13, 17. I want to submit to God. You know how we submit to God? We submit to those that God has put in our midst to help us along the journey. I don't preach on this often because I'm a pastor which doesn't make much sense because I don't want to come across this is what you need to do. You don't understand when I read it. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's why I don't really preach. I probably ought to preach on it more. But I feel bad because I'm telling you to do something just talking about your pastor. Submit to God. But submit also, if you want to submit to God, we submit to those that God has put over us to help us live this life out. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. That was the biggest struggle I had about being a pastor. I am going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for how I shepherd his children, you. Let me think about that. Did I I shepherd you in a loving way? Did I preach the truth to you? Did I love on you when you needed to be loved on? Did I... Preach tough when you needed to preach tough. Was I willing to say, hey, little sheep, you, you come back to the sheepfold. That's hard to do. But you think about that. Standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he say, those were mine. But notice what else. For they are keeping watch over your souls who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. For that would be no advantage to you. I think there's going to be a a lot of people that are going to have to answer for this in the history of churches. And the way that churches have treated their staff 
not just their senior pastor, I think their staff. I have had some friends that have had shared with me horror stories about the way they have been treated. And just as the Lord, I will stand before the Lord, we are going to stand before the Lord individually. That was one of the things Sharon and I talked about. We were looking for a church, and she said this. I agreed with it. We have got to find a church because we need to find an elder shepherd pastor that is going to watch over our soul. It's not about the music. It's not about how friendly we are. It's not about the ministries we have. It's that those tie into it. But when we come into a church, we're asking the Lord to lead us somebody that he will trust our souls up under. That's a big decision. That's why what a church is doing and what a church believes and how a church comforts and does ministry is so important. Ephesians 5, let's don't turn there for the sake of time. Ephesians 5, it talks about a a wife submitting, a husband leading as they submit to the Lordship of Christ. You, if you cannot submit to your parents, you're not submitting to God. I'm experiencing that now. You know where I'm going with this. I've got a 25-year-old son that's married. Dad. You are smart. I know. I tried to tell you. It happens to all of us. I said, just wait till you have children. You'll understand I should have been a rocket scientist. I'm so smart. Isn't that so true, though? We fight our parents. We fight our parents. And I remember the time I went to my mother. I'm so sorry. I get it now. You were right. Why fight it? Just trust the Lord. You want to talk about the sovereignty of God? Do you have any choice on who your parents are? No. And I know there may be children here that says, yes, but I don't have godly parents. But you've got a godly father. Trust him. Children, submit to your parents. Because your parents are submitting to the Lord, or they should be. And then it goes on to say in 1 Peter 2, 13, 14, submit to the government. Now, be careful here. If the government is contrary to the teachings of Scripture, we submit to the teachings of Scripture. But if I can't submit to the speed limit, I can't submit to paying my taxes, I can't submit to what the the police department says, I can't submit to rules, I'm always questioning everything, I'm always complaining about everything. If I can't submit to the government, if I can't submit to my family, if I can't submit to the church, if I can't submit to those that God, because he gave us government to control us. Can you imagine no police department? What would this place look like? We got rioting now, can you imagine no law? Everything that God has given us is ordained to control us and protect us and to guide us. And if we don't submit to that, we can't submit to God. Because those are the means that he has given us to control us as we do submit to him. I'll say the last two for the sake of time. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 17. Just write this down. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 17 1 Peter 4, 19. I'll read 1 Peter 4, 19. 
we are going to suffer as believers. Just say that. Pastor, we are going to suffer. Say it. We are going to suffer. I'm not saying don't watch TV preaching, but I would say don't watch all TV preaching. TV preaching would make you think if you're doing things well enough, you're going to drive a Cadillac and never, you'll be healed and have no bills. That's not the case. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We are literally suffering according to God's will. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 17 talks about suffering and doing good, uh, suffering in this light. We are going to suffer as we do God's will. The apostles suffered, the disciples suffered, Jesus suffered. That's part of God's will that we're reminded this is not the best that we have, but we'll never suffer in glory. Sickness is a reminder that we're a fallen people. You know that there, I don't know, the moment that we are born, I don't know if there's like a peak and a drop. I know that I'm on the drop. I have crushed the top of the roller coaster. I got that. But our body is failing us day by day by day by day. And it's a reminder of sin. It's a reminder of fallenness. It's a reminder of Genesis. The dead body is a reminder of greater things to come. We're going to suffer. But we can rest in the Lord and know that through that. And then lastly... 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 22, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice always. Be anxious for nothing but all things with prayers and supplication. With a, a spirit of thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. In all things, rejoice as we pray. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful in my sickness that I'm saved and I'm sanctified. Thank you, Lord, for doctors. Rejoice always. You know what complaining, you know, who, you know who complaining really, I don't know if offends is the right word. Do you know who complaining really offends or who, who, what complaining really grieves? The Spirit. When we complain, we're not acknowledging a loving Lord that has saved us and sanctified us and is guiding us and is control. Complaining takes away from the goodness and direction of God on our lives. That doesn't mean we say, well, you know, I don't want to complain, but, you know, we, we, yes, but just complaining. We need to be people that are thankful. We're saved, the spirit filled, we're sanctified, we're submissive, we're going to suffer and there's a spirit of satisfaction. We are thankful for the Lord for everything that he has given us. That is God's will for our life. That is understanding that this is my time. I am here to fulfill what God is calling me to do. Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we do thank you for these truths, these words that you have given us here tonight. We are grateful that in the midst of these things, we have a, a gospel, we have a Savior, we have a Father, we have the Spirit, we have God that has given us everything we need.
to live a life that we are pleasing to you. We have your revealed will. We have your word. We have the spirit that takes the word and shows us our life on display. And we know that as we follow your revealed will of God, that your unrevealed, your sovereign will will just naturally fall into place. Let us enjoy our salvation, our sanctification. Let us, in a way, learn to enjoy our suffering and know that it may be just for a season. And let us be a person that understands that we are filled with the Spirit, so therefore we can rejoice always. And this we pray in your name. Amen.